Good morning. Join me uh, in your Bibles, if you would, or listen carefully. And for those out there in uh, online, as you watch our live stream, welcome as well today. Acts chapter 13, I'll be beginning reading at verse 15. After the reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. So Paul stood up and motioning with his hand said, Men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people Israel chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm, he led them out. And for about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years. And after that, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. Of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a savior, Jesus, as he promised. Before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, what do you suppose that I am? I am not he, no, but behold, after me is one coming, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him nor understand the utterances of the prophets which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news of that, that God has promised to the fathers. This he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus as also it is written in the second psalm, you are my son, today I've begotten you. And as for the fact that you raised him up from the dead, no more to return to the corruption, he has spoken in this way, I will give you the holy and sure blessing of David. Therefore he has also in another psalm written, you will not let your holy one see corruption. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that though through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him everyone who believes is freed from everything from which he could not be freed from the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish. For I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells it to you. God's word to us this morning. Last week we had a Go Sunday. And we gathered together to worship our great Savior. To focus our attention on our ministry, our, our mission to make disciples in all the world. And 
Joe and Maggie Dragas uh, talked about their ministry of encouraging saints who had served on the mission field. And, and you know, it's kind of good to remember God never forgets his children. And we shouldn't either. So thank you, Joe and Maggie, for encouraging the saints who have served you well and for connecting, staying connected with them and connecting with uh, uh, people through your, your ministry of hospitality. And Steve and Judy Bowman reminded us that opportunities abound to reach out to the world right where we live. Thank you. Steve and Judy for persevering and making disciples, for being teachers and reminding us that we can be a part in that ministry. Uh, you're here to help us improve our ministry, ministry skill, skills with people around the world. Let's, let's take advantage. People of Grace Chapel, our friends out there that are watching, we live in a strategic location here on the East Coast in the Philadelphia area. Wednesday, if you didn't have an opportunity, we have people involved in international ministry. We can be a part of that in prayer, asking God to help us see the people around us that we might befriend and serve. It's amazing. I could go on and on, but I need to move on because that brings us to Acts chapter 13 today. These events happened nearly 2,000 years ago, and yet, even though the world's changed a whole, whole bunch. <laughs> we study Acts to watch what the first century disciples did because they give us clues of how we can reach out in the 21st century with the gospel just the way they did, following them and what God wanted them to do to help us on. So that's today, 21st century how-tos from the first century disciples that help us do ministry. First thing I want to look at today, three, three key ideas. If you want to, you can follow along in the outline that's in the bulletin. I'm sure you're all totally aware of that. <laughs> You'll at least know when I'm getting near the end. Changes in leadership, ministry teams, and there's always change going on in ministry. And I want, we didn't read these verses, but look at chapter 13, beginning at verse 13. Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia, and John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But they went on from Perga and came to Antioch in Pisidia, and on the Sabbath day they went into the synagogue and sat down. After the reading from the Law and the Prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, so Paul stood up and motioning with his hand said, and that's where we picked up our scripture reading for today, Paul, part of Paul's sermon. Before this, it had been Barnabas and Saul, Barnabas and Saul. You can look at verses two and verse seven in the chapter. But now it's Paul and his companions. Changes in leadership. Why do I bring that up? <laughs> if you were Barnabas, how would you have handled that? Change in leadership. Suddenly, Barnabas no longer is the lead guy, but it's Paul. And Paul took charge, and Barnabas let it happen. No bruised feelings, Barnabas. No questions like, God, are you done with me, or what's going on here? Am I not important anymore? You know, ministry is hard. 
And we need one another because we're in a spiritual battle against the prince of darkness and his minions. We sang a little bit about that today. Resistance. So we need one another to help one another. We need one another because we're all sinners and we're battling with our own issues and sins and selfish pride and all those issues. And then on top of that, there's you. Or if you're you, then there's me. And we have to put up with one another and our faults and our, our failures and our sin tendencies. So there's a struggle and there's no wonder there's conflict. We need one another because we're soldiers in a spiritual battle. We're sinners in process to holiness, but we're not there yet. And we are battling the pressures of the world. The world has all kinds of philosophies and ideas that sound good, look good, but they far fall short of God's better ways, but they tempt us, they draw us in. So we have quite a battle with ourselves, the world, the flesh, ourselves and the devil. Team ministry is hard because of all the above. You married? You're a team. <laughs> How's that going, team? <laughs> you never have any conflicts? Love covers over a multitude of sins. We all stumble in many ways, James tells us. So we have to have love. And if we struggle to take care and to cherish one another that we're committed to in marriage and we've taken vows to love one another in sickness and in health and for better, for worse, and sometimes it feels worse than better, doesn't it? If we struggle in those areas, imagine now you throw in people that we don't cherish as much in the body of Christ and it's hard to get along. If you're not married, you're, you're in a family <laughs> and there's mom and dad and you love them, but boy, and there's brothers or sisters and siblings or cousins and nephews and neighbors, and boy, it's hard to get along, isn't it? Now, there's a passage of scripture that's often read in weddings, and that's fine. Listen to it. You know it. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. That's read at weddings, and that's a good place to read it, but the context isn't weddings, marriages. It's getting along in the body of Christ, being Christ-like as we serve one another. Wow, we need that kind of grace because leadership is hard. And it's hard to let go of leadership. Ministry, team ministry is hard because it brings challenges. John Mark left them. Team changes. What went wrong here? We don't even know. We're never told any specifics. Why? Because I think Luke, in his wisdom, is protecting a brother and his reputation. It was on a need-to-know basis. There's all kinds of speculation. Was John Mark homesick? He didn't like the ministry direction that Paul was taking them now that he was in charge. By the way, Barnabas was his cousin. I wonder if there was a little bit of family envy there, like, wow, Paul's taken over. My, Bar my Barnabas is such a great guy. How come he's taken a back seat? He we don't know why, but we do know it caused a rift later on. We read about that in chapter 15. So it was no little thing why John Mark left. Paul said that he deserted them. Strong language. Are you an encourager? 
we all should encourage one another. It ought to be a, 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 a skill set that we try to improve, to build up other people. Barnabas, that's his name, means son of encouragement. He was willing to hand over leadership. And I want you to know that is not easy. Suddenly, the one who mentored Paul, the apostle, when he was a young believer, the teacher is now under the student. Not the easiest thing to do. Remember John the Baptist? What he said about Jesus, words that are easy to say, but not easy to actually do. A lot of grace is needed. He must increase while I decrease. Not easy to do. In team ministry, we all face that issue of having to let go and let others lead. To let the Spirit of God mold us into Christ's likeness, who was Lord of all, and yet he served others. F.F. Bruce writes this little rhyme. It takes more grace than I can tell to play the second fiddle well. And there's a lot of nodding heads out there. You've been there. You've felt it. Famous uh, preacher F.B. Meyer. He ministered in D.L. Moody's Northfield Bible Conference Ground. This was in the 1800s, early 1900s, you know. Over a century ago. And he drew crowds of people. He was an amazing teacher. And then some young preacher came along by the name of G. Campbell Morgan. He's one of my favorite writers and older commentaries that I use all the time. It's like so up to date, even though he passed away in 1945. He began to preach there, and he, his Bible studies drew even larger crowds. And here's what F.B. Meyer said. <laughs> he confessed to his closest friends that he was sometimes envious of Morgan. Never happens among us. But then he said, the only way I can conquer my feelings is to pray for him daily, and that's what I do. So we can beat this in our struggles here in team ministry, which we know God wants us to do by praying for one another and lifting one another up. How can we work as a unified team by, and making disciples by surrendering to God's leading? And that's what Barnabas was willing to do. Recognizing others' gifts and giving them space to begin to exercise them. Persevering like Jesus did and encouraging other people like his disciples who disappointed him all the time in the way Barnabas encouraged Paul and hung in there with John Mark. Later on, we read about that. Our strength to raise others up is all built on Jesus Christ. Our confidence is in him and his shed blood, his grace that he pours out into our lives so we can do this as we seek him and, and look to him and serve him and keep his mission our mission. Building one another up in the faith, meeting together and encouraging one another as it tells us in Hebrews chapter 10. First point, team ministry. We learned something from first century disciple makers that helps us do ministry too. Secondly, the gospel, gospel message essentials. Now, 
We could take a long time in Paul's sermon, but I want to highlight just a few things. Because I want you to remind you that first century sermons, 2,000 year old sermons, are useful for today. They show us how to preach. This is God's word to us, so yes, they are useful. You know, Bob Dylan was right. The times, they are changing. But King Solomon was maybe more right. Can you be more right? (laughs) There's nothing new under the sun. How do you preach the gospel of Christ in a city filled with great, with people in Pamphylia or Pisidian of Antioch, Antioch of Pisidia, how do you preach to people who are influenced by Greek thought and Greek philosophies and, and many gods and all kinds of superstitions, but they also are under Roman rule and Roman utilitarianism and practicalism and, and meanness and nastiness, the way the Romans ruled and kept a heavy hand on their conquered conquered nations. And then the city was also influenced by Hebrews, by Jewish faith. There was a synagogue there and there were a lot of Gentiles who were attracted to the, the, the single God religion of the Jews and all its laws and it seemed higher and it was God's truth. But see, you see all that mix of cultures and ideas and you think about Western thought where we live, scientific thinking, is mixed in with Eastern religions and mysticism and New Age thoughts and ideas mixed in with some Christianity because of the influence of our, our, the founding fathers here. And you mix it all together and you know what? The gospel of Jesus Christ can cut through it all and make sense to those God knows he's going to call and save. God knows his people who will believe, but they need to hear the gospel. What are some of the message essentials? Well, Paul, in verses 16 through 25, gives this short history of Israel's history, how God was dealing with them. And Paul's aim was to show how God's redemption activity was completed in Jesus' death and resurrection. God's redemption went way beyond Moses and Moses' law and the temple It was focused and centered on the Messiah coming, Jesus Christ. How many of you like history? Oh, fair amount. The rest of you are bored by it, right? Your eyes glaze over the minute I mention it. But history is important. And as a matter of fact, everybody loves history because just ask me about my grandchildren. I'll tell you my story. That's history. We all have a story to tell. We like our history. We like to let people know about who we are. We like history. Paul knew his audience. He was among Jews who knew the Old Testament and Israel's history. He was among Gentiles who had been converted or were to Judaism or who were interested in the Jewish faith. So he knew he had an audience where he could share the story. They knew the Old Testament. Our world's not so much like that anymore. But know your audience. Show them the sweetness of God's truth and how it's impacted your life. How the promises of God have been fulfilled in your life and in Bible history and in your life history. Sometimes we need many conversations 
to get that point across, just taking time and being patient, but we can do it. That's a message essential. Give the gospel some context of how God has worked in your life and how his promises from old have come true in our day so that you give context to the hope of the gospel that Jesus died for sin, was buried and raised again from the dead. Message essentials. The heart of the message is found in verses 26 through 31. It talks about God's plan and there was a lot of prophecy that was fulfilled about Jesus' death, burial and resurrection and the witnesses, credible witnesses that were there. We need to practice telling the gospel, the gospel basics. If you have a pencil in your hand and if you don't, you're, many of you are familiar with the passage. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Now I remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which is received, which you received and which you stand and by which you've been saved if you hold fast to the word I preached to you. Here's what Paul says, gospel in a nutshell, verses three through six. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And then he appeared to Cephas, that is Peter, and then to the 12. And then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. Gospel basics. Know the gospel basics. Review it regularly. Why did Jesus die? Why was he called the Lamb of God? Can you explain that to someone? The hope that's within you, practice it. Message essentials. The heart of the message is Jesus. The promises that he fulfilled, his death for sin, spoken about in the Old Testament, his burial that was predicted, his resurrection that was I, and people saw it. Know it and tell it. Message essentials, fulfillment. Jesus is the only begotten Son of God. Can you explain only begotten? Sounds like he was born, created. It's not what the word means. It means he's unique. He's the son of God. Jesus wasn't created in Mary's womb. He was God forever. He existed before the world ever began. He took on flesh in that womb, but Jesus was always in existence because he's God. And he came into that womb to be fully human and fully God. He's the only begotten son of God. He's the unique son of God. And David died and his body stayed in the grave, but Jesus died, but his body didn't stay in the grave because he was resurrected. I wanna look at verses 38 and 39 with you of, of Acts chapter 13, because this is another message essential justification has arrived. <laughs> it's here. Listen, let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through him, that is Jesus Christ, this, this man, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which he could not be freed from the law of Moses. 
Paul was in the area of Galatia, and in his letter to the Galatians in chapter 2, we read this, speaking of justification or being made righteous. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ, not by works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. He repeats that same message again a little bit later on in chapter 3. No one is justified by the law, doing the law of Moses, by doing good works, by trying to obey it because we fail, but we're justified, made right with God by believing. That's the gospel. Message essential. Fulfillment. Justification is here. It's all through Jesus Christ. And then Paul gives a warning. Habakkuk, Old Testament prophet. Look, you scoffers, it says in verse 41, be astounded and perish, for I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells you. Here's what happens if you reject the gospel. You're lost. You're separated from God from all eternity, and it's a warning. See, Paul started with Egypt and Israel's salvation and how God delivered them from that physical bondage, but Egypt is a picture of spiritual bondage, and Jesus came to die for sin, raised to life again to be the one who would rescue us from spiritual separation from God and bondage to sin. He frees us. He makes us righteous. We're justified through him. got some questions for you. Jesus is proven to be the true leader and savior of the world, and the world wants that kind of king. We long for a leader that would not only save us from our sin and our stupidity and the hurts and the failures of this world, but we long to be rescued from ourselves and our depressions and our sicknesses and our pride and our evil thoughts, and Jesus can do it. Why would we depend on ourselves to become righteous? We fall so far short, it doesn't make sense. We've been trying for centuries, humanity has. Have we gotten anywhere close to making peace in the world? Having justice for everyone, it's still a dream, isn't it? Why would we look for another lesser savior in this world in all of our comforts? Has technology really made life better? We can debate that. Yes, and absolutely not. Why do we still look for presidents or a form of governments to rescue us? Everything, best intentions, never works. Why would we look for some lesser teacher or philosopher as wise as they are and follow their way because they're still lying in the grave and Jesus isn't? Why would we look anywhere else for a savior? He's the savior who was sent. So here's 21st century how-tos. We can be team ministry. We can minister together in teams. God gives us help in Acts chapter 13. Just a little picture there's more 
in the rest of the scripture to help us. We have the essential message in these sermons in the book of Acts that help us communicate first century truth. God's word stands forever. It works in the 21st century as well. I want to take one more look. Movement and high emotion. What was the response of everyone in Acts chapter 13 in this city? Let's read the last few verses together. Beginning at verse 42. Paul and Barnabas are leaving the synagogue. As they went out, the people begged that these might be told them the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts that, or Gentiles to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. So here's a group of people, Jews and Gentiles, who either believed or they were really curious and wanted to know more about this message, this Savior, this Messiah that Paul was, and Barnabas were talking about. There was movement towards Christ. They wanted to know more about Jesus. They hadn't understood this message of redemption before, and here it was. How about you? Who do you say Jesus is? Are you convinced he's the Savior? If you are, then let him rule and reign more and more in your life. Revel in his forgiveness and ask for his strength to serve him better, and he will answer. Move you on to his higher and holier ways. It's a journey. Don't be disappointed. Don't despair but be ready to trust and move forward with him now. Are you hungry to know more about Jesus' salvation? Well, justification is received. Standing right with God without fear happens through faith. Jesus died to make us clean. Jesus rose again, proving he's the Savior. He willingly laid down your life for you. You can trust your life with him. So some people were really excited and wanted to know more. But look at verse 44. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. <laughs> but when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy. Now that's the Jews, unbelieving Jews or Jews. Not all Jews were <laughs> against this, but the leadership was. And those who followed their ways, who were in in power, we believe. And they began to contradict what was spoken by Paul and reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust it aside and judged yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. Hey, do you remember when the Eagles won the Super Bowl? <laughs> Even if you didn't care about football, it was a talk of the town. Everybody was talking. It was, it's exciting. Imagine Jesus Christ being the talk of Havertown. Or your town. Your high school. Your workplace. It's hard to imagine, isn't it? And yet God is working. 
There was great joy in that city. It says that right after the verses I just read because of the Gentiles. <laughs> wow, God really is calling us up to equality with the Jews. We've always felt like second-class citizens, and now we're equals in the kingdom of God. This is great. But the Jews were jealous, and it stirred up the whole city, and it turned the, the leadership of the city turned against them and drove them out of that place. Jealousy. But did you notice Paul and Barnabas' strong words in verse 46? I read it again. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, but since you thrust it aside and judged yourselves unworthy of eternal life, we're turning to the Gentiles. Will Jesus judge you when you die? Yes. You're going to stand before your creator. And your own words will either justify you or condemn you. Will Jesus send people off to separation from God? It's called hell and suffering. Yes. But if we say, God, I don't want you. Jesus Christ, I don't want you. Then Jesus will look at us and say, your own words mean away from me. You judge yourself. I cringe when I read these words all the time in John chapter 19. It was Jesus' trial. Verse 14, now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour, and he said to the Jews, behold your king. And they cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, we have no king but Caesar. Who is your king? If you reject the king of kings, then he will reject you by your own words. In one sense, God doesn't send anyone to hell. We send ourselves there by refusing the Christ. He justly sends us away. But there's good news here as well. The word of God spread. There was great rejoicing at the word of God. Verses 44, 48, 49. It, they, they gathered to hear the word. They glorified God's word and God's word spread. So what do you think? Does the word of God still have power in the 21st century to do what happened here? To justify or to justly judge, to divide believer, non-believer. Younger generations must get tired of us older folks talking about the good old days. You know, it's okay to talk about back in the day if we're remembering the good things God has done. It's not okay to talk, talk about back in the day because we're whining and complaining that God isn't doing anything now, like Gideon was. If you missed Wednesday night's meeting here, that's okay. You were busy. 
But just know that God is doing things right here through people at Grace Chapel, and we can be a part of it. Working with international students, working with international scholars, just being aware of the people that are around us who are foreigners who need friends, who are ready to hear about Christ. You say, I can't teach, but you can pray. Here it is, right here, you can start to pray. You say, I don't know what to say. I'm shy around new people. <laughs> but you can join a friend, you can set the table, you can cook a dish, you can smile, you can learn their names, you can begin to pray for them. Let's get ready to go and meet our world with the gospel, the truth that still penetrates through every culture, every misguided religion and thought and superstition because it's the power of God that brings salvation. Back in the day, do you remember when, why did thousands and thousands of people go to Billy Graham crusades here in our country, our nation, and around the globe? You know, the show wasn't that spectacular. You know, there was a choir, there was some special music, maybe a testimony from some popular believer, and then there was a message. So why did thousands of teenagers come forward to believe in Christ? Why did thousands of parents come forward to believe and receive eternal life through Christ? Why did grandma and grandpa come forward to believe in Jesus Christ? Because God's people we're inviting them to hear the message, priming the pump, because they were praying, because they were expecting God to use his word because it had changed them. And they knew it could change other people's lives as well. Maybe you heard of Operation Andrew. You know, Andrew brought Peter to meet Jesus, and that's what it was. Because Acts is a part of God's perfect, true, and useful revelation, his word to us, it's useful, and we can learn great lessons from it. Are you a good team member in ministry? Learn to be more like Barnabas, moving others up, letting them use their gifts, trusting God to work through you, even as you encourage them. Know the gospel. Acts helps us understand what's the key thing that needs to be said. Know your audience. Take advantage of your position. Coach, teacher, co-worker, manager. You can't preach the gospel in your workplace, but you can be kind. You can explain the hope that you have in creative ways. Acts remind us of the strong emotions that's gonna happen when we preach the name of Jesus Christ, when we speak the name of Jesus Christ, when we give him glory. Some people are gonna be very excited and others are gonna be very jealous and give us a hard time. 21st century helps, how-tos from the first century. It's right here in Acts 13, part of what God has for us. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, stir our hearts so we dare to speak your word and share your great kindness with those we know and help us to believe that your word has the power to draw many to yourself. 
Help us not to fear those who might oppose us, Lord. And Lord, if there's someone here today who doubts that you're the Savior, that you're the Christ, that you died for their sins, if they're pretending, keeping a reputation, keeping peace in the family, stir their hearts to receive you and to believe you, to, not, to embrace you so they know life everlasting. Lord, do this, we pray in Christ's name, for your honor and glory. Amen.